Good morning. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to be able to worship with you, uh, to help share some of God's Word with you this morning. It is Palm Sunday, and I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to worship together. Thankful for Brother Shane and the praise team and our musicians uh, for their talent, for the way that God uses them to lead us through worship and song. And now thankful for the opportunity to look at God's Word together. If you have your Bible, Grab that, get it out. I always encourage you to have a copy of God's Word whenever we're studying it together so that you can read along and see for yourself these things. Today we'll be in John chapter 19. Uh, we're going to look today at the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to see His death. We're going to see how it shows us uh, the power of God, how it shows us the greatness of God, how it shows us the glory of God in Jesus as well. So we're going to look at that today, and then next week on Easter, we'll be looking at Jesus' resurrection. So his death today on Palm Sunday, his resurrection next Sunday on Easter Sunday. So John chapter 19, we're going to begin this morning in verse 16. This is after the, the trial before Pilate that we saw last week. Uh, at the end of that, Pilate does decide at the beckoning call of the people to give Jesus over to be crucified and so we're going to pick up just a little bit past that at the crucifixion. Verse 16 of John 19. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and we say Calvary. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So here we see uh, our introduction for today's text is, is really the truth and the idea of Jesus being crucified. We see his execution, we see his death on the cross, and then we'll go a little bit further in the text in just a little bit. But, but as you read this text, one thing that may stand out to you that stood out to me this week as I was studying it is how, how simple John makes it sound what happened to Jesus. In verse 18, it says, when they got to the place of the skull, or, or Golgotha that we call Calvary, it simply says, there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. I thought, how simple that sounds, they crucified him. We, we know from Roman history much of what that entails. We know how gruesome that is, and we know how terrible that is. We spend a lot of time ourselves thinking about and visualizing and talking about the crucifixion itself and the nails and, and all those things, but, but John doesn't. And So I went back and looked in all of the Gospels, and all four of the Gospels, it's, it's written about the same way. It's very simple. It's, it's one or two verses simply saying that they crucified him. But just in case you need a reminder, just today so that we can Remember what it is that Christ went through, more than just the words they crucified him. I want to give to you D.A. Carson and his commentary on John and, and talking about John 19, 18. He explains it this way from the Roman history. 
He says, in the ancient world, this most terrible of punishments is always associated with shame and horror. It was so brutal that no Roman citizen could be crucified without the sanction of the emperor. Stripped naked and beaten to pulpy weakness, the victim could hang in the hot sun for hours or even days. To breathe, it was necessary to push with the legs and pull with the arms to keep the chest cavity open and functioning. Terrible muscle spasms racked the entire body, but since collapse meant suffocation, the strain went on and on. And this is the death that Jesus died. This death that is for shame and horror, this death that was only for uh, very terrible criminals, that for Romans had to be even sanctioned and approved by the emperor himself because it was so terrible. This is how our Lord and Savior, this is how Jesus died. The, the nails were driven in his hands and his feet, and they held him on this cross, and he stayed there until the point of suffocation from exhaustion. Whenever he himself gave up the spirit, when he himself allowed himself to die. Now, why doesn't John, if, if that's what crucifixion is, and it, it's so terrible, and we can see the length that Jesus went to uh, in order to follow and obey God's will, and in, in order to find uh, or to offer salvation to us, why doesn't John spend more time explaining it or the other gospel writers? And I, I can only speculate, but the reasons I would give, I believe the first reason would be because the, for the original readers that John was writing to uh, in this early time period, just a little, a few uh, decades after Jesus' death, they, he didn't have to explain crucifixion. When you said crucifixion, they lived in the Roman Empire. They knew exactly what that meant. So he didn't have to explain them. But I also think even for us, why didn't the Holy Spirit inspire John to write that so that we would have those details? I think part of the reason is because the main point of this chapter and of this text is not necessarily how it is that Jesus died. It's not the nails in his hands. It's not the point of suffocation. It's not the point of, uh, of the pain that he went through on the cross itself. It's not the main point, I don't believe. And so we'll see that as we go through the text, say what is the main point. But point one, I do want us to make sure that we remember that Jesus died a gruesome criminal's death. That's point one. And, and I point out specifically, not only that it's gruesome, we know that it's gruesome, we know that it was horrible, we know that it was terrible, but I also want us to remember that this is the death that criminals died. Why is that important? Because to me it's a reflection uh, in the, the physical world of what was going on spiritually. We see Jesus, who was innocent, dying a criminal's death. And we're going to see a reflection just a little bit as we look at this text spiritually that it's much the same, that Jesus was dying and taking the wrath of God. He was dying a sinner's death. He was taking a sinner's punishment, even though he was perfect. So Jesus here, willingly as an innocent man, dies a criminal's death. So let's look at a couple of things. The two things I want to see today, the two, two of the things I believe that John is really highlighting in this text. The first one is that in this text we're reminded that God knows all and that God is over all. God knows everything and God is over everything. He is completely sovereign in every way. We see that in this text, in the, the text of Jesus' death. Another thing that we see is Christ fully completing the task that God the Father had given to him. Uh, he completely 
goes to all lengths that he needed to to fulfill the task that God had given to him, we're going to see that that's extremely important for us today as we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this first great reminder, this great reminder that God knows everything, that he's over everything. Uh, the first part of it, we're going to look at this Wednesday of this week, but we see it, we already saw it in verses 19 and 20. It's in this bit about uh, Pilate and the, the sign that he puts over Jesus' head, but says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And then it says, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic and Latin, and in Greek. So here we'll talk about this a little bit Wednesday, but we see Pilate doing something that seems to be him trying to be spiteful towards the Jews, and I'll explain that. But as he's trying to be spiteful toward the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders, what he's really doing is showing to all the world, everyone that would pass, everybody that was in this area, the truth of who Jesus was. Now, did Pilate believe that this was the king of the Jews? I don't I don't think so. Did the Jews believe it? No, they even asked him not to write it in that way. But we know that Jesus is the king of the Jews, and not the Jews only, but of everything. He's king of a kingdom that's, that, is, that expands far beyond the borders of any country or any, any nation or any world. He's king of everything. And so here, Pilate, in doing something that seems like it's between him and the Jews, is actually showing to the world in three different languages that Jesus was, in fact, a king, that he was the king of the Jews. But we see this more specifically. We see God's sovereignty, sovereign, sovereignty over everything. We see uh, God's omniscience and his all-knowing, understanding everything. We can see it more clearly in some of these texts or some of these verses where it's showing us the fulfillment of prophecies from the Scripture. So look, as we continue in the text, look back in John 19. We'll pick back up in verse 23. It says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. And so here we see something that appears to be uh, regular practice. The, the Roman executionary detachment, the, the soldiers that were there to crucify a criminal, uh, were always allowed, or to the best of my understanding, to take the things that belonged to that criminal and to divide, to divide them among themselves. That was regular practice that took place normally. So we see something here that appears to be just regular practice, just everyday run-of-the-mill things that the, these Roman uh, soldiers would do. They're taking Jesus' clothes and they're dividing them among themselves and there's one specific part uh, that's really nice and so they didn't want to tear it. They wanted one of them to have it in its full complement and so they said, let's just cast lots and that's how we decide who gets to, to have this. Again, it appears to be just John writing what happened around the cross but when you read the last part of verse 24, you start to see John reminding us that God knows everything and God's in charge of everything. Verse 24 said, So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. And the last part says, This was to, feel the, to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
so the soldiers did these things. So we see here that what they were doing, that the soldiers would have thought, this is just what we always do. This is, we're not trying to, to do God's will. We're not fulfilling anything. We're just doing what soldiers do. But John reminds us here that God knew this was going to happen hundreds of years before this ever took place. God knows everything. These soldiers who thought they were just doing what soldiers wanted to do and getting the clothes for themselves were actually doing the will of God. They were fulfilling the prophecy in the scriptures that God had already said was going to happen. We see it again after Jesus' death. After Jesus' death, uh, there's some scripture that we'll look at in verses 33 through 37 of the same chapter. But it's whenever, uh, after Jesus has already died, they didn't realize this at the time, but it was, it was time for them to take the bodies down from the cross. They didn't want these men to stay. As I read from D.A. Carson, sometimes it would take days for the criminals to end up being suffocated and dying from crucifixion. It was a terrible, terrible death. But the next day was the Sabbath, and so they didn't want bodies hanging on the cross on the Sabbath. So what they would do often if they wanted somebody to die from crucifixion faster is they would break their legs, which would make it so that they couldn't push up and they couldn't breathe and they would give out faster and they would die. So they decide they're going to do this. They're going to break the legs of the people on the cross so that they'll die. And in verse 33, we see this. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you, may also, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken." And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. And so here again, we see regular practice for these Roman soldiers. Whenever they wanted someone to die faster, they would break their legs. So they break the legs of the criminals on each side of Jesus. But when they come to Jesus, they didn't break his legs. Why? Because Jesus had already died. So then they pierce his side just to make sure that he's completely dead. And they see that he's dead. And what John reminds us is this wasn't just everyday run-of-the-mill soldiers doing their job at an execution. What this was was the scriptures being fulfilled. God had known for all of eternity but had prophesied so that we would know hundreds of years before this that these things were going to take place. God sees everything. God knows everything. These soldiers that thought they were just doing their job were actually fulfilling God's will. So point two, Jesus's death reminds us that God knows all and is over all. Now, why is it so important? Why do I, do I emphasize this? Why is it important that John is reminding us that God knows everything and that God is in charge of everything, especially in this text at this time. You just have to imagine reading for the first time ever the scriptures and not knowing the context of what's going on. And so you've seen this Jesus and you've seen that he's the Messiah and you see that he's the Son of God and you see that he's special and that he's come to save the world and to rule forever. But then you get to this point and you see here that this Jesus, this Son of God, is being killed. He's being crucified. He's dying a criminal's death and it appears that he's losing. And in the midst of what appears to be evil winning and good losing, John is giving us reminder after reminder that that's not what is happening. 
God has known that this was going to happen. God has willed that this was going to happen. God is still in control. All of the things that are happening around this crucifixion and the crucifixion itself, God God has given those as prophecies. He has told us that they were going to happen. Jesus had many times said that he was going to die. All of this is not evil winning. It's not God losing or being out of control. This is a wonderful reminder. Through a uh, rebellious Roman leader and Jewish leaders and through Roman uh, detachments that are sent to do execution through all of these people, doing things that appear to be what they want, when they want, we actually see God making sure that his will is done and that his prophecies are fulfilled through them. God is sovereign overall, and God knows everything. Now, the other thing I want to see is Jesus' death. We're going to look at his actual death, verses 28 through 30. We're going to, to see him dying, but we're also going to see how His death is actually him completing the task that God had given for him to do as a human here on earth. So verse 28, John 19, 28, says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So here we see, we see prophecy being fulfilled again. We see uh, another reminder of that here with this uh, wine that was given to him. But we also see Jesus saying, It is finished, just before he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, Jesus had already said, John tells in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. So what does this mean when it says he knew that everything was finished? And then he actually says in verse 30, it is finished. Well, in verse 30, there's a little bit of a clue because that phrase, it is finished, in Greek, it's only one word. So for us, it's translated as a phrase, it is finished. In Greek, it's one word. And it carries the idea of something being finished, but for us to understand it a little bit better, we might could use instead the term, the phrase, it is complete. It's this idea of of completely accomplishing a task that someone has given to you. So whenever your mom says, go clean your room, uh, you go and after you have completely cleaned the entire room and everything's done, you come back and you say, mom, I'm finished. It's complete. It's done. That's what Jesus was actually saying here. He's saying, it is complete. So what is complete? The tasks given to him by God the Father that he should do while he was here on earth living in human form. At this point, it's complete. After he's on the cross, he's paid the price. We'll see in just a moment for our sins. After that, he says, it's complete. He makes sure that, that they know. John hears. He says, it is finished. It is complete. And then he dies. The specific part of this that I want us to see I believe it's this last task that he's fulfilling here is in Matthew chapter 26. If you want to turn there, you can read one verse from Matthew 26. It's verse 39. This is Jesus on the night before his death, uh, just before he's arrested, praying in the garden. It says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but as you will. So there's some specific part of God's task for him that he's looking at here and he's saying, God, if it's possible, please allow this to pass and for me to not have to take this cup. So what is this cup that he's talking about here? I believe that it's the cup of God's wrath. The, the cup of God's wrath is a term we see in Isaiah 51, 17. I think we see it spelled out a, a little bit more fully in Ezekiel chapter 23. In Ezekiel 23, God's people have rebelled against him and they have sinned and done things that they shouldn't have. And so the cup is used as imagery for their punishment. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 23. uh, God says, And I will direct my jealousy against you that they may deal with you in fury. They shall cut off your nose and your ears and your survivors shall fall by the sword. They shall seize your sons and your daughters and your survivors shall be devoured by fire, and a little bit further down in Ezekiel 23, says, Therefore I will give her cup into your hand. Thus says the Lord God, You shall drink your sister's cup. And then he explains what this cup of his wrath looks like. He says, It is deep and large. You shall be laughed at and held in derision, for it contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation. The cup of your sister Samaria, you shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and tear your breast. This is the cup of God's wrath. This is our understanding of what Jesus was talking about here. This cup, uh, it's imagery, right? It's not an actual cup, but it's the image of a cup that is filled to the top with God's wrath. God's wrath because God is completely righteous and perfect and so anytime there's sin or anything imperfect there's punishment for that sin and so for these people for the the people of Judea here they were going to have to take God's wrath for their sins the things that they had done wrong and he talks about this wrath and it's going to be horrible and it's going to be terrible but their their sin rightfully had to be punished Well, in the same way, all sin has to be punished. So your sin and my sin, it has to be punished as well. And what we understand Jesus' prayer here in Matthew 26, 39, is that he was praying knowing that while he was on the cross, that he was to take the cup of God's wrath for our sin. That he was going to take our sin, that he was going to become our sin, that he was going to pay the penalty for our sin that we deserve, that he was going to, to drink this cup completely and take all of God's wrath against all of our sin. He was going to do that himself. He was going to be our atoning sacrifice. And he's praying that, that if God saw fit that this would pass, and if not, that he would be willing to take it, but we know because we're told in Romans three twenty five and First John two two that He is the propitiation for our sins. That the cup did not pass, but that He took it while He was on the cross. Jesus, we're told, became our sin. That He didn't die just a gruesome physical death by crucifixion, but at the same time He took the spiritual punishment that we deserve. That we, that if it were up to you and up to me, we would experience this wrath of God. Uh, for eternity in hell, the terrible punishment of hell, that's what it would look like for us. Now, what does it look like for Jesus? How did he take the eternity of hell uh, and that punishment for every sin you've committed and for every sin I've committed at one time while he was on the cross? How did he do that? I don't know. What did that look like? I don't know. 
But I also cannot imagine how excruciating and how terrible that is. The pain, the wrath, the uh, uh, the hatred of God against sin given to Jesus while he was on the cross for all the sins that we've committed because there has to be punishment for sin. But so that you and I, brothers and sisters, those of us that are Christians, so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sins, Jesus was willing to pay it. He took it upon himself. And after he did, this is my understanding that this was the final task that he had to fulfill as a human being here on earth. He had already completely fulfilled all the tasks that God had given him. He had lived uh, sinless. He had, he had endured every temptation and come through clean. He had taught. He had shown us the Father. He had shown us the grace and mercy of the Father. He had taught us the truth. He had delivered to us God's Word. He had done all of these tasks. And the last task to be done was for him to give up his life, for him to drink this cup, to take God's wrath and then to die physically. And then he would be resurrected three days later. When he finished drinking this cup and taking God's wrath, this is when I believe him here to say, it is finished. Point three, the last point for today. This point is actually just the second part of Philippians 2.8. But point three, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Who is he being obedient to? God the Father. God the Father had given this task to him, and Jesus took it upon himself and fulfilled it completely. Not only was he an innocent man that died a criminal's death by crucifixion, but he was also a perfect and righteous man that died a sinner's death that paid a sinner's price, that took God's wrath. Now, the question to finish this up would be, why Why would a loving father like God give this task to his son? Why would he give his son the, the punishment that we deserve? Why would he, even when Jesus prayed, Father, if it's your will, allow this cup to pass, but not my will, but yours be done, why would God still give this to him? Because this is how God had for us to be saved. This was the only way that we could be saved. If Jesus was the who's the only perfect person that ever lived, if he doesn't take this wrath of God, then we have to take the wrath upon ourselves. If he doesn't become the atoning sacrifice, then there is no atoning sacrifice. If he doesn't pay the price for our sins, then no one else can. We all have to pay it on our own. There is no no hope of heaven for us. There's no seeing this fullness, the full, complete grace and mercy of God that we see because of Jesus' death. We, don't, we wouldn't see that if it weren't for Jesus' death. So God had seen, and, and before time had ever began, this had been the plan for how we could be reconciled to Him. So how that we could have a relationship with God the Father. How we could be made righteous. How our sins could be taken away. How we could be given eternal life. So God the Father gave this task to his son because his son was the only one that could take this task. We see also the the love of Jesus. Why would Jesus allow this to happen? Why would he allow himself to die a criminal's death? Why would he allow himself to become sin? Because in this we see the love of God. We see the love of Jesus toward us. We see the grace and mercy of Jesus toward us. 
So in this text, we see Jesus' death, but so much more than just his physical death, we see John making much of God and making much of Jesus, holding them up for seeing. See what the Father can do. He knows all things. He can do all things. Showing us what Jesus was willing to do for us, what lengths he was willing to go to in order for us to have salvation by grace through faith. So now, because of this, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are taken away. Brothers and sisters, I would ask you today as we finish, have you ever done that? Have you come to Jesus Christ admitting that you're a sinner, knowing that you deserve God's wrath and punishment? but knowing that he took it, thanking him for that, and through faith giving your life to him, saying, Jesus is no longer going to be about me. It's not going to be what I want. It's going to be about you, and I'm going to do whatever you call me to. When you tell me, don't do that, I will not do that. When you say, do that, I will do that. I'm giving my life over to you because you're the one that deserves it. Have you ever come and responded in faith to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I pray that you will. If you have questions about that, reach out to us. Send me a message on Facebook. Send it to the church. It'll come directly to me. Uh, Reach out through the form on our website. It'll come directly to me. But if you have questions about how to do that, we'd love to go through that process with you. Let's pray. Lord God, I am thankful. I'm thankful for the glory of the cross. Lord, it sounds so strange that we would celebrate your death and we talk about the glory of the cross, the place where you were crucified and died. But Lord, we're reminded that the truth is that that is the place where our salvation was bought. Lord, that is the place where you, God the Father, that you had willed for your son to die in our place. That's where you poured out your wrath on him. That's where Jesus took our place and paid our punishment so that we would have the opportunity to respond in faith and be forgiven of our sins. So Lord, thank you for the glory of this beautiful truth. Lord, I pray that we celebrate it. I pray that we make much of you as John has in this text, that we are reminded of how great you are and how, how, Lord, how you can do all things and how you know all things. And Lord, that we would be ever in complete praise and worship of Jesus Christ who was willing to die this death for us, who willingly allowed himself to become our sin so that we might not have to take this punishment, so that we could have a reconciled relationship with you, so that we could have eternal life. Father, thank you for the beauty that we see on Calvary. I pray that we celebrate it, and I pray